0: Welcome to the podcast of Grace Covenant Church, where we are transformed by God's grace, connected through relationships, and committed to service. Good morning, everyone. Uh, we're looking at the book of Galatians today. Before we get going there, I want to tell you, um, I think the, the, the top reason that I love this church, this, is, this ranks absolutely first, and I don't even know what's second, it has to do with, um, I've been here for a while, and, and I've heard so many stories about the power of God's grace in people's lives. But the, that's not first. What is first is the breadth of the stories of how God's grace have changed people's lives. We have um, so many stories of people like understanding for the first time that salvation comes through Christ, but also we have these stories about, people applying the grace the gospel of God to their personalities and to their relationships and the way they think about other people and the way they think about life. We you know we have we have little children and grown-ups coming in our doors and for the first time, you know, the light goes on and they go, "Wait a minute. You know, I can be rightly related to God because of what he's done for me and so they have a born again a salvation experience." Those are that's half the stories that we have around here. Because we have so many stories of people that have, like, come here. I think God leads them here, and they're from churches or from extremely rigid or moral, uh, moralistic kind of backgrounds, and, and they've played the game the whole, their whole life, um, but been shackled. And, and because we talk about grace and the power of grace transforming, and that's where we put our hope is in, is in grace transforming. And after a while, they, something happens to them, and they, and they, they get it. Um, years ago, we had a baptism that's still very fond in my memory of a younger man. He's 25, maybe early 30s. And he grew up in a really great Bible teaching church. But it was just so uh, the aroma of the church was um, so moralistic. And, and that's what he was getting 24-7 at home. And, and so he, 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 he grasped the gospel in every aspect of his life. And so when he was baptized, he says, he said, you know, I grew up in a good church. I grew up in a Bible teaching church and I knew more versus anybody else. And my parents made me do this and that. And I was never free. I was always feeling sad or guilty or what I could have been doing more. And I understand grace now. And it's changed the way I treat my wife. And it's changed the way I hope when I have children, the way I raise them. And so today, this day, I'm getting baptized into God's grace. I love those stories. Because that's, that's. The everlasting joy that when a when a person realizes the power of the gospel in all of their lives is revolutionary. The Galatians, the book of Galatians, it's a little letter that Paul wrote um, to the churches in Galatia, and the theme is the gospel, and and it is our ambition. We're going to study this book for uh, for the winter time together, and it's our ambition that the gospel gets into our personalities and our temperament and our relationships and the way we view the life of, or our lives. And it is God's ambition, I can tell you from the Bible, that He is out to make you, he uses, the words are perfect or mature or complete. And the means by which He will make you perfect and mature and complete is by grace, by a gift. And the gift is the gospel. So let's um, summarize what we learned last week in chapter 1 and explain some, some things that will help us get along into chapter 2. What is the gospel? We keep talking about the gospel. The gospel means, it literally means good news. It means good news. And, what it, and it, it, we talk about grace, grace is the primary, or gospel, or grace is the primary word that's used in this book. And grace means gift. And so we have this icon up here that I hope that we can all remember, even in dementia, that we grace means gift. And what is the gift? The gift is that Jesus Christ, okay, writes a check to the Father for the debt that we owe Him for the cost of our sin, and He paid it. Signed right here, Resur- uh, Good Friday, Resurrection Sunday, paid in full. It was cashed, and it cleared. And the gift of the gospel is this gift of grace, this, this gift of, of justification. We'll see that in just a minute. But the formula for the gospel is this, of the good news, the formula of good news is this. It is faith alone, in that gift alone, in grace alone, from Christ alone. Okay? It is is faith alone or trust only, not actions, right? Trust in that grace gift of being made right from Jesus Christ alone. No one else in the equation. That's the formula. That, that's what the gospel is. And, uh, and when we looked at chapter 1, we found that, that people like taking that formula and prostituting it or ruining it in some way. And we found out early on that if you add anything to that formula, what could save your life or what would save your life now becomes poisonous because it becomes a gospel of a whole different kind, Paul says. And if nothing else, it's... Um, it's definitions of term because grace means gift. We're saved by grace alone. Grace means gift. If you pay for the gift, it's not a gift anymore. It's a purchase, right? And if you pay back the gift, then the gift was not a gift. It was a loan, and the gift is not a gift. Grace means gift. It means they, someone gave it to you. You didn't pay for it, and you didn't pay it back. So it's grace alone, this gift alone. It's faith in that gift that it's adequate from Christ alone. If you change it, the next thing we learned, if, if you promote anything or an angel from heaven promotes anything except grace alone, through faith alone, Christ alone, they'll be accursed. They will spend eternity with judgment because it becomes, a, it becomes the thing that destroys you. And then we also learned that the gospel was from God. We learned that the gospel was from God. Uh, it, Paul didn't invent it, he didn't think about it, he discovered it. It came from the outside. And we're, we won't study the historical record of, of him proving that fact that he didn't invent it, he discovered it, because all, most of chapter 2, up to Verse 16 or so, up to uh, most of chapter 2, is Paul going around saying, here's the gospel that I've discovered, and and he had it confirmed in multiple different ways. That's the point of those first 15 verses. Today we're going to look at the hub where all the spokes come out in the book of Galatians, many scholars believe, and that's chapter 2, verse 16. Chapter 2, verse 16 is the thesis of the book of Galatians about the gospel. We can't go there and study it yet because he's going to use this one technical term three times. He's actually going to say the same thing three separate times. That's how much he wants you to grasp this. The word he's going to emphasize, and what we're talking about when we talk about this gift, is the word justify, justification, right? And so let's make sure we understand what that word means before we look at verse 16. Justify does not mean forgiveness. That's something else in our experience with Jesus Christ, but justify does not mean forgiveness. Justify, we, we talk about atonement. That's not what justify means. Justify means, it is is a forensic term. It it comes from the judicial system. It is saturated throughout the New Testament. It means a judge, a person in authority of justice, has declared you innocent, absolutely and completely guilt-free. He has the power and the authority to be that judge, and he has declared you innocent or to be justified does not merely mean that you did nothing wrong. It means that you did everything right. It means you did it all. It means you're perfect. Okay. And here's a great illustration of that. Um, have you ever? Some of you older people would know. We used to say when we were growing up, "Your name is mud," and that expression came from a historical event. People, I haven't heard that in quite a number of years. But the historical event was when John Wilkes Booth killed Abraham Lincoln. He was jumping out of the balcony, and ironically, his foot got caught on an American flag and when he fell, he broke his leg. Well, about four o'clock in the morning, he goes to a doctor's house, uh, Samuel Mudd, Dr. Samuel Mudd, and Dr. Samuel Mudd splinted that broken leg, and then right, John Wilkes Booth was off and running again. Well, they caught Booth, they killed him, and then they burned him, they burned his corpse, and there was, that was justice for the moment, but they, they wanted to bring to justice every single person that he talked with or been associated with, and Dr. Mudd was brought into that. He was tried for aiding and abetting a felonist, a felonist and um, he was right. He got a life imprisonment. He missed the death penalty by one vote. Four years later, things, the emotions had calmed down a little bit, and, they, and his attorneys uh, went to the president and said, I think, you know, we should make this right. And so President Andrew Johnson gave him a pardon. And so he was set free, went back home, and he lived most of his life um, somewhat worry-free. But his, after he died, his descendants had to live with this pardon, and they were resentful of it. Because a pardon means he was forgiven. And his family said he never did anything wrong. And as a matter of fact, he did what was right. And so for a hundred... This is a true story. 150 years, they're still working on this. For 150 years, they are trying to do more than have him pardoned. They're, they're trying to get him justified. They have a letter with a presidential seal from, from um, Jimmy Carter that says Jimmy Carter says the man was, was innocent. They have another presidential seal from Ronald Reagan that says that Ronald Reagan believed he was innocent. But they're not judges. They don't have the authority or the power to do anything but pardon him, and they don't want to pardon. They want him declared justified because when you are justified, it says, not only did you not do any wrong, but you did what was right. And Dr. Samuel Mudd swore the Hippocratic oath that said that if anyone would ever need medical attention, he would give it to him, and that's what he did. He did what he swore he would do, and not only was he not doing something wrong, he did what he was sworn to do. That's justified. When you see this word three times, as it escalates, I want you to be. That's what we get with this gift. Let's look at verse sixteen now. Now, <laughs> he's gonna. He's gonna. There's no. There's no vagueness here. This will f- blow the, clog, the the clouds away. Know that a person. Just just name a person. Think of a person. Know a person is not justified, declared right, innocent by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too, Paul, we, that personal, right? We, uh, Jews, even apostles, we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we might be justified by faith in Christ, not by the works of the law. Because by the works of the law, no one, did I leave anyone out? There's a person, there's the Jews, and now everyone. No one can be justified By the works of the law. There it is. The declaration of innocence is this gift. That's what this gift means. And when you receive the gospel, when you trust that that's payment in full, what you get is this this statement from the, the high, mighty, righteous judge, God the Father, and he looks at you and says, not only have you done nothing wrong, you have done everything right. And that comes not from works, but from this gift and trusting that that gift is adequate. Do you trust that I believe you. That, that I see you that way? Yes, that's it. Now, Tertullian, one of our church fathers, said about the doctrine of justification, he said, just as Jesus Christ was justifying the world and was, uh, had a, a thief on each side of him, the doctrine of justification itself has a thief on each side that wants to steal it away. When people hear... Or, or try to understand that it is by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone. They say, um, it's, most people in the world don't, don't grasp it. Most people in churches will fall to one side or the other on this, just like Tertullian said. They'll either go to one side that says, okay, right, we'll do this, but I think we should add some works to that. We, we, I, I, need to, I need to keep doing good so that I can either earn the gift or pay the gift back. They add rules and control because because technically they don't think this will do. It's not enough. That's one thief on one side. The other thief on the other side is they make grace cheap. So if I'm declared innocent, regardless of the way I act, that sounds like a blank check to me. Uh, and I have a, just a license. We call that license. Unconditional love looks like a license to do whatever I want. That's the way people respond to this. And wh- while the ink is still drying on verse 16, Paul takes the rest of the chapter to make sure that he covers both of these two errors, both of these thieves. And so I'd like to belabor the point because I would say most of us in this room, in our weak moments when we don't meditate on what the gospel power is, we're going to go to one or the other. The first one, again, let me... let me. Uh, put some more details this. I brought this exercise bicycle here. It's gonna represent legalism or moralism, right? In the older testament, they said, okay, some of the early Christians would say, okay, we get the gift, and then I'm gonna go back and do old testament rituals and laws so that God will continue to like me and then I'll be justified. Okay, so we're not gonna do that, right? So I don't think any of that most of that won't apply to people in here. But what what do we do? We don't go to old testament rituals and rules. We add our new rules. We add more and more to this. And and the point, the point, the reason I wanted this exercise treadmill is because when you sit here and you pedal, you go nowhere. And I want you to see this and try to remember this is a metaphor for your justification efforts here. Where are you going, Matt? Nowhere? Where are you going now? Nowhere fast. And and you can you can You can be in a community. uh, Churches have this atmosphere, this barometric pressure, this feeling, and Christian organizations will say, you know what, that's good and all. And, And other churches or organizations, they'll, I don't know, but us, what's harder for other churches is just about right for us. That's what we normally do. And then they'll emphasize usually something that a number of people are good at, like Bible. These are all good things, okay? But Bible study or Bible memory or evangelism, or some sort of cause or sacrifice, and and there's this again this feeling that you that there's a different level now of Christians. Why? I mean, I mean, easy. One of them is pride. If you can pedal faster than anyone else, you want. You want that to become the standard, right? And you want other people to know that you pedal faster than most, and you hang around other people that pedal faster than most, and then you say, those other people can't pedal fast. There's a lot of it's pride. A lot of it is control and fear. We like the rules and the laws because it keeps people in their place, because we're afraid of what would happen if we broke out of the rules a little bit. And the rules aren't, you know, they're not God-made. And sometimes it's just simpler, right? I mean, if you just have, if you have, if there's a cause effect to every one of your life problems, you don't have to pray and ask God and and trust and be afraid. And you know, like, you know what I mean? Just really trust God for things. So, like, look, in parenting, you know, it happens about every 20 years, someone comes out with a new style of parenting based on this. They take really good material. Bill Gothard did it in the 90s, 80s, and 90s, and then Growing Kids God's Way in the early 2000s. They take biblical stuff, usually principles, and they make them hard laws, and they attract people that love discipline, and they're going to control their kids so that they know every outcome. And there's a page or a chapter on every issue, and if you do this, you get that. And it's, again, there's power involved, there's pride involved, there's control involved. There's no, you know, you don't need to know your child. You don't need to pray and trust and, and just like really trust God for this outcome. And you're just, you, you just, you, you end up with a crushed soul that's always looking over his shoulders trying to get mom or dad's approval. That's what happens. In relationships, if you're a if you're type of person that, that loves this, you evaluate other people by how fast they can pedal in your area of expertise, usually. And you grade people not by what they've done, but what they haven't done. And they haven't done enough, have they? And so you probably have a history of relationships where you get kind of close, you have some fun together and all that, and just, and the people just get tired of you and your standards. Rarely grateful, because because gratitude is assuming that you wouldn't expect anything. These people, if you're one of these people, you expect a lot from people. And so you don't celebrate. You're not grateful when people help you or give things to you or whatever it might be. And so you, generally, people have a history where they have ruined relationships or strained relationships in marriage or whatever. Now, the problem with legalism is at least threefold, right? I mean, the first one is, if you're, if you're on this thing, if it's this plus this or just this alone, you'll never know, will you, if you're rightly related to God? Because you, have you done enough today? So you, so you live usually fatigued intellectually right, or, or emotionally and sometimes even physically because you're running around. Why are you always running around? Because I need the approval of other people or of God or whatever, so you never know. The second, the second thing is it doesn't work. <laughs> it doesn't work. 2.16, the hub of Galatians, three times, you can't be justified by works. By works, you can't be justified. There's no justification in works. It, it just doesn't work. You can't change a heart through the law. You can change conduct, and then you make a resentful heart. But the third reason this is a problem and this is serious. Is that bike, that value system, this has contempt for that? This, this law, moralism, structure, it says that's not enough. And that is the death of Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son. So, Paul just says logically in the last sentence, we'll spend some more time on this in future weeks, but look what he says in verse 21. If I do not, right, um, if I do not set aside the grace of God, um, for if righteousness, I will not set aside the grace of God. I'm never going to let go of that, he's saying. If righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died needlessly. That's simple algebra. If we could achieve righteousness or justification through that, then Jesus didn't need to die. And while all that, that's all true, could you stop and think through what that says about God? What did you just say about God if you have this value system? You said that God would send His only Son to experience Friday, and it wasn't necessary. Can you imagine that conversation? I'm back, Father. Yeah, thanks for doing all that. Didn't need to. Wasn't necessary. Wait, What? This is the only, this gift of Christ's payment for our sin is the only way because it's the only way that makes sense. If God, if this isn't necessary and God did this to His only Son, how do you think He's going to treat you? This has, this ha, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ has to be the only way because it's the only way that makes sense that a loving God would send His only Son to do it. And if you, if you bring that into the equation, you're saying the nature of God, he is so flippant with stuff that he'll give his son away and he doesn't have to. That's contempt to the power and the beauty and the depth of that gift. Be afraid. Just, just be afraid. So that's one thief on one side. The other thief on the other side is, uh, is license. I mean, right after verse 16, where he says, look, you, you have to receive this by faith alone. By faith alone is the only way you can be justified. Justification only comes through faith alone. Verse 16 rolls out very nicely. Look at verse 17. It says, right, but if uh, seeking to be justified by Jesus, does that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. One of the almost immediate responses by, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone is, so I can do whatever I want. And, and that, that's like, that's the way I look at this little box. That's the little that's little Jesus it's the it's the pocket Jesus and and while that takes the gift lightly this makes light of the gift and again churches and church organizations or christian organizations the atmosphere is such that you can't tell the christians from the non-christians and and they and they just pull Jesus out whenever they need like a genie yeah forgive me my bad right their view of my bad you got that just it's a the gift is a Visa card. Put it, put it on his tab. And, and, and people think they can bluff God. And the, listen, the problem with this one, on this side, the problem with this side, there's not a single verse in the Bible that can give you confidence that you're even a believer. You might be. But you can't find a passage in the Bible that if you live a life that is not any different, and you don't have a conscience that's, you know, with the Spirit of God, talking to you about this conduct. There is nothing in the Bible that would tell you that you're absolutely the child of God. And so just like that one, you never know. This one on this side says you'll never know. You can't know because these are, artificial, these are artificial expressions of justification. The real gospel, the gospel of God, solves this problem for us because it's the real thing. It is heavy. It is dense. It is, it is infectious. It is the sap that runs through your soul and gets into every aspect of your life. If you let grace, the gift of justification, get into every aspect of your soul, it will change it. It, it is the marrow that goes through your personality and, and, and can and make it well. It is, it is yeast that goes into your life history and changes the way you can look at what you've been through and the things that you've suffered. It has that kind of power. It's not just for salvation. It is for life. So how do you get that in here? How do you make it a holistic way of making you whole and complete and perfect? That's what Paul talks about in the next few verses. The problem is you're going to need to die (laughs) a couple of times, and it won't be pretty. But on the other hand, you know, kind of just know this that if you die, if you don't die, you'll be killed. So there's that. But you have to die or you can't have this. That's what Paul's talking about. Okay? He's, He's saying, look, the first thing you have to die to is that you have to die to this law written. Whether, again, it could be your own temperament. It could be the way you were raised. It could be the church that you grew up in, whatever it means. Whatever, the way you keep score over here with your silly little bike, right? You have to die to this because you think. He says this. Look, look at the verse. Look at Through the law, I die to the law so that I might, be, so I might live for God. You can't live for God until you die to the law. And the idea here is, is that you're pedaling and you think this counts. You know what he's telling you? You don't know the law you need to ride this thing until you die on this thing because this was built to kill you. You can't fulfill what this is demanding. And so you keep trying and you keep trying, and when you're dead of this, would you just die to this thing? Would you get that mother-in-law or or whatever it is, that Catholic nun out of your head or your own silly standards thinking that you could uh, do something that could please God? You have to die to that. Just let it die. And then you have to die again. That's the easy death. I mean, you want to die to that anyway. Now, the second one is in chapter 2, verse 20, and it's dying to your stuff. Let me let me illustrate it this way. Let me see if I want Let's do the verse first. Let's see the first. Yeah. I've been crucified with Christ, and it's no longer I who live but it's Christ who lives in me. What does that mean? Okay, let's, let's, let's work this metaphor so we can maybe understand it in our soul and spirit. Okay, this is the gift, right? This is the, this is the grace of God. This is the justification that we receive. Let me just say that this gift is so big and so heavy and so dense that I can't pick it up and enjoy it until I put everything down in my hands. I, in other words, I have to let go of all of my baggage to enjoy being able to lift this. Another metaphor. It says I've been crucified with Christ no longer. I live, but Christ lives in me. The only way I he can live in me is if I vacate the building first. You have to crucify all this stuff that that's that, uh, your ego. Crucify the ego. You would be so free to live in Christ if you didn't have that dragging around. Your reputation that you you care so much about, there's nails for that reputation, right? Your ambitions, let them just bleed out. Your fears, suffocate them to death. Your constant desire and addiction to attention, let it starve. It's pride, friends. It's this ugly, cursed, damned pride, and that's what has to die. If you want Christ to live in you, if you want this gift to translate into your personality and your temperament and your history and your life and your value system, you've got to get rid of this stuff. We'll spend some time in just a few minutes and talking to God about that, but you, you can't have the garbage and Christ live in you. You have to die to that legal system that you have rattling around in your values, and then you have to die to all the junk you carry around with you. I'll show you how this works in just a minute. And then you get to live. So I'm telling you, you're going to love the living part, but you have to die a couple times. The, the second part of verse 20 says this. It says, the life I now live, okay, I've died to this soulless, you know, my soul has died, right? But the life I now live in the body, I've got some years left in this thing, I live by faith in the Son of God, look at those words, who loved me and gave himself up for me. Your real grace, the real love, the real gospel is focusing so much on the fact that he loved me and he gave himself up for me. He loved me. The most important person in the universe loved me and gave himself up for me. So what does this look like? So um, I just worry all the time, I'm anxious all the time, and so I need to stop being so anxious and I'm gonna, I'm gonna look about why am I so anxious, why I'm so anxious, right? And then you say, oh, I'm so vain and I'm always thinking about how, how I look and how people think I look and that's, I'm always fearful, I'm bitter all the time, I gotta quit being bitter, I'm just angry, I resent what other people have and I don't have life. What's the problem? Can we talk, stop talking about you all the time, right? I'm bitter, I need to stop being bitter. I'm anxious, I need to stop being anxious. I'm dead. Why are we talking about the dead guy? The dead guy got crucified with Christ. He no longer lives. The life I live now in the flesh, I am, I am focusing on the glorious truth that he loved me. And he gave himself, it wasn't just words, he gave himself up for me. And so, you know, Right? The focus isn't on me or worrying or stopping worrying. It's I worry sometimes. Why would I worry? He said he'd never leave me. I'm bitter. I resent other people's stuff. I have everything in him. I don't, I, you know, I'm always thinking about how to get attention. Why do you care? Because you're drilling, you're focusing on this. That's why we were singing, right? The chorus, it kept looping. I am yours you are mine. OK, good. Let's sing it again. I am yours, you are mine. And we're going to keep singing this until we stop thinking about all the things we are or aren't, because we're dead. We, I mean, everybody's going home, they've eaten and they've gone home from this funeral that's over. Let's talk about this. There's this lovely postcard, that you, it's a card, and it, it's changed the way I look at life. And it's this, it's this woman saying to her husband, and she says, "Whenever I'm with you, I forget about me. Think about the depth of love that that takes. Whenever I'm with you, I forget about myself. That's the power of the gospel. Whenever I focus on this gospel, I forget about myself. That's how you apply it to the aspects of your life. So, you know, how does it look parentally? You can't put it in these boxes, right? So your child, um, messes up. It costs a lot of money and it's in front of a lot of people and embarrasses you, right? So hell hath no fury than a parent embarrassed. And so over here in the, in the legal system, right? We have rules. You violated the rules. And now I'm going to let you know that you don't, you don't make mom or dad look bad. And, and you turn to that page and that's what you do. And over here, right? The cheap grace. It's like, oh, you know what, son? <laughs> I kind of did something like that when I was your age. I guess you're just a chip off. I'll, I'll let it go. I'm going to just forgive you who's the cool dad? Who's the cool dad? Right? But if you have, if you have grace in your soul and you live this thing out, you don't care about what they did. It's not punishment for what they did. You're concerned about what they'll do in the future. And so you're trying to stop a, like a recommitment to this foible in the future. So over here, it could be harsher than over here. The book might say you owe us $5 and a couple hours of time out, but you, but you know the soul of that child, and you've enjoyed the, the uniqueness of this God-given gift, and you say, you know what? It's going to take more than the law because we love him, and we don't want him to do this again. We don't want him to be a repeat offender. So the law, See how the law is not even adequate over here to love a child appropriately? Right? Or sometimes, again, because of the offense, it might look a little bit like this because the offense itself, He's regretted it. He's remorseful. He doesn't want to ever do it again. Why? You're just looking into his soul. He won't ever do that again. You see how love has no boundaries and carries away. In relationships, it says later in Galatians, he's talking to us about relationships, grace-filled relationships. And he says, look, don't let grace, don't let the gift give you a license, but instead humbly love one another. And then he says the whole law can be summarized in this saying, love your neighbor as yourself. That's not cheap. It's, it's short, but it's hard to love one another. Love others as you love yourself. So you're overflowing. Generosity. Look how generosity looks. This, this person over here, he's going to look in the Bible, and he's going to do exactly what it says. I'll give you whatever. Let's just pretend it's 10% or whatever, and I'm going to give you that. Hopefully, people will find out about it. People over here, it's like, giving? That's going to cost something. And so, you know, it's grace. It's grace. So I'll let other people pay those bills. Awesome who's the cool dad, and what, is, what, is, what, is, what happens when, when the generosity of this gift gets inside of your soul? Even if you're a tight, wad little Scrooge, it transforms your heart. It grows three times that day, right? And you look for opportunities to give because you know it is better to give than receive. Why? Because you've been transformed. Grace transformed your soul. See how there's not rules, really, for so the most part? It's like, what does God call you to do? Who does he call you to be? Here's a great illustration. Uh, St. Augustine, um, you know, he, he had a, a live-in girlfriend for years when, before he met the Lord. And, and they were quite in love, and, you know, they enjoyed each other's company, okay? Um, and so later on, he becomes a follower of Jesus Christ and, and understands the power of the gospel in his every, every aspect of his life. And his sensuality is one of the things that was crucified, and he ran into her again at a social engagement, and she said, Oh, you know, Augustine, it's, it's, how have you been? What's going on? And she, he said, It is well. You look great. It's uh, good to see you. I need to leave. And she, and he, no induendos, no, you know, eyebrows up or down. And he starts walking away, and she says, She thinks she doesn't, that he forgot who she was. Augustine, it is I. And he turned and he said, I know, but it's not I. See, she she mistaken his body for his soul, and his soul is different. That lust-filled, selfish, pleasure-happy, Augustine had been crucified. And he was now living by faith and just enjoying the power of the gospel. How do you apply this? Here's three ways to do it, and if you think there's three ways to do it, it means you haven't killed that yet, okay? (laughs) You see what I mean, right? Three steps. I wish it were that easy, because here's the thing. You don't need to do more loving things. You need to be more loving. You don't need to do, do more gracious things or generous things or compassionate things. You need to be more generous and compassionate, and that's something different. So what I thought we'd do for our application time, how do we apply this? I thought we would just very quietly have a time with the Spirit of God to have a funeral, I guess. Let's kill some things. Let's kill you, right? Let's, let's do, his, the way he talked about it is he had, to, he had to die to that. Let's all die to that. And then let's die to the junk and the stuff, the stuff we're holding onto that's holding us down. We can't even pick up power and the density of this grace, this gift, because we're so encumbered by our pride. Let's pray that and see if we can't be freed, okay? Just join me. Bow your heads, if you don't mind. Just for the, for the, for the love of God, for God's sake, and the, for the sake of the power of, this, of the gospel, through the law, I died to the law. Could you please consider killing this little squirrel cage that you're, you've been in your whole life? Don't you see it is out to kill you? Just kill it. Whatever that voice is rattling around in your head, if it's a person or if it's an atmosphere or if it's your own silly temperament, kill it. It won't work. And it's contemptuous towards the power of, of the gift of God. Lord, I am sorry that I keep trying to stay busy or, or judge people by how it's ruined so many lives around me and hurt so many people deeply because I live by this standard that everybody else has to live with. And I, I clear my throat and my kids cower Lord, I, 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 help me kill this law. Through this law, I want to die to this law. And Lord, I, while we're at the funeral, I want to be crucified with Christ. I don't want to live anymore. I want you to live in me. So crucify this ego. It has a mirror in front of it all the time. My carefully guarded and protected reputation, hammer some nails. My selfish ambition, let it bleed out, oh, I want to see that blood. My addiction to attention, let's suffocate that. Starve my fears. This cursed pride, dear God, take this from me. Kill this thing in me so that I could be free and light and unencumbered. The life I now live, Lord, in this body, in these years left, I want to live by faith in your son, Jesus Christ. He loved me. And he gave himself for me. And make that, make that everything for me. Let that be the primary motivation for how I think and feel and evaluate life. Let it it be me, that he loved me, and he gave himself for me. Lord, you make beautiful things out of dirt. You took clay once, and you turned it into the image of God. And you're still doing that. Take this dust and make something beautiful out of it. In Jesus' name, we all pray.